This week's episode is brought to you by the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo. We see a lot of conservatism among retailers in introducing technology in stores for exactly that reason. It's sort of like we only have one chance to make a good impression. And I don't want to roll something out to stores and then have it not be the best possible experience for store associates because then the device goes in the drawer. So on the other hand, it's like, well, you're not gonna learn anything and you're not gonna be able to evolve and progress if you don't get this stuff in the hands of users. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Nikki Bayard, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to talk all things store ops with me. Anytime with you, Alicia. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Always a joy to dig into data, just given your history, the work you do. And I know we're going to be talking about our store operations survey, and I know you have your own data too. So we're going to get a little nerdy today. I want to start at a high level here because... What I always find interesting about our store op survey in particular is that there are some results that are pretty present year over year, and then there are these like big headlines or big changes that happen. Let me give an example. So when we ask our exec audience to share their top challenges, things like employee hiring and retention, they're always kind of in the top spot, right? I feel like those are ever present, especially in retail. But I'm curious because you're having so many conversations with retail execs, you're in the field, you're seeing what's happening at an industry level. I feel like the tone surrounding that challenge is a bit different this year. But again, you're in this space every day. I'm curious what you think, what you're seeing, if there's anything new about this year in particular that makes employee hiring and retention especially pressing or even especially daunting this time around. Yeah, I think your sense for it is dead on. I mean, the challenge is perpetual, but the components that make up the challenge seem to have changed quite a bit, especially, I would almost characterize them as like a permanent shift from things that were priorities or challenges in employee hiring and retention before the pandemic. So wages, for example, is definitely a different composition, a different discussion than it used to be because there's been a lot of pressure on wages. And for hiring retailers, it just creates a cascading impact, right? You hire somebody in at $750 an hour, but you've got somebody who worked for you for a year who's making $1650. Like now, what do you do? You have to bring up all of those people who have lots more experience to at least that same level, like how can you justify somebody who has no experience making more money than somebody who's shown you loyalty and has experience and has been with you for a long time? And so trying to manage that pressure has been particularly challenging for retailers. I think some of the wage pressure has seems to have eased off, like or at the very least, it's not accelerating at the pace that it was like last year or earlier into this year. But That's one part of it. And then I think the other part that's a challenge is managing the scope of responsibility for that employee that they're hiring. So stores have to do so much more than they used to. 
And while some of that's not new, I think it's become more entrenched and retailers are trying to figure out like, do I have somebody who just does online order picking, right? I see lots of job postings from retailers specifically for what they're calling personal shoppers. Oh, that's a nice way to put it, right? (laughs) Right, I know. I was like, wow, that makes that job much more sexier (laughs) than I think the reality is. But, But it's, do I specialize and do I hire people to do this one job? Gen Z's entering the workforce in force. And that's another big shift. That's kind of a permanent shift that they want variation. They want to learn lots of different kinds of roles. They don't want to do just the same thing over and over again, which you say that like, oh, it's only Gen Z that wants that. But you're sort of like, well, most humans want those kinds of things too. So I think retailers are still struggling to figure out what the right balance is to both satisfy the personal goals of the people that they're hiring but also meet their needs, which are getting pressure from like all sides. Right, right. And it's interesting to like, as you unpack all of that, to explore how intrinsically linked those two things are in certain respects, right? Like you need to cover the bare minimum or the foundation of it all, which is fair wage, having a fulfilling job description, like you have some diversity in your job, you feel fulfilled in that work, but you also need to feel like you're set up for success, right? And I think that can sometimes be challenging when the core operations of the store are so multifaceted and associates are pulled in so many different directions. That's why I think it's so interesting to see how our audience is addressing that through their store ops investments. And I know 69% of our respondents said their budgets increased over the past year, which is a good sign. And the top area of investment was in-store technology. They saw those budgets increase the most, which I think kind of connects nicely to the dynamics that you were just discussing. And I'm curious if you're seeing the same things. And if so, what elements of the discussion are taking place now? Is it employee-assisted technology? Is it self-serve? Like, How are they kind of unpacking this? Because I feel like we can say the blanket statement in-store tech, but that can mean a lot of different things. Yeah, it definitely can. I would say mobility is a huge component of it. For sure, that Whether you're talking about inventory management or point of sale or customer service or clienteling, like whatever it is, they want that to be delivered on a mobile device in a store associate's hands while they're, you know, in the aisle, potentially interacting with that customer live. So I think the mobile component to it is definitely the biggest part of the impetus behind this investment. The self-service part of it is always fascinating to me. And this is something that I do think is changing. Like the tide is turning against (laughs) self-service in stores, whether you're talking about for grocery self-checkout. We saw a lot of fashion and more higher consideration kinds of retailers put self-checkout into stores. And I, you know, at first it was in response to some of the labor crunch and some of the efficiencies that you can get by having one employee serve multiple checkout stations as opposed to one-to-one for customers and move the line. But we'll talk a little bit more about loss prevention and theft and self-checkouts turning out to be a big source of, of theft. So I think I've always maintained that The difference between online and the store, besides all of the physical elements of touch and feel and sound and whatever, 
is the employee. The difference is that you have an employee there who can help you. So trying to design experiences that explicitly cut the store employee out of the equation just seems self-defeating to me. I mean, I might as well sit on my phone in the parking lot and shop as go in the store if it's all going to be self-service. Like, doesn't get me much as a consumer. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. And you brought up with mobility, there are so many aspects to that, like in terms of tools, capabilities. And I know we saw mobile adoption reach its highest level, I think, that we've been doing the store operations survey. And it is a pretty wide swath of <laughs> of use cases. It's the mobile POS, you know, buying an aisle, client telling. There's even like the workforce management and communication slash engagement component, which I think is pretty interesting, right? It's like this formulation of like a super app of sorts that has everything that an associate needs. So you mentioned MPOS and clienteling specifically at the top that really helps bring the associates engagement and impact in the store to to that next level. Is that kind of where you're seeing the most traction or is it more so like the workforce management, task management type stuff right now? I mean, mobile point of sale for sure. Yeah, Definitely like there's no point in investing in clienteling or, you know, anything that brings along the customer shopping journey if you cannot consummate that journey at the end with a sale. So having that buy button, I think it really is important for that to be one of the first considerations because anything you do, if you don't have that buy button ready in the aisle where you can take that sale, you're sort of just creating more disjointed experiences. So I definitely see a big focus on mobile point of sale. I agree with you, this whole concept of a super app, I think, It goes back to the same kind of question around, well, should a store associate's role be specialized or should it be flexible and generalized? And I think retailers do want this kind of super app, but they also really want for each role to have a very streamlined implementation or access, right? They don't want 20 menu items for a store associate to have to scroll through in order to figure out what they're supposed to do next. You're going to be in the aisle and you're focused on selling, then you should have these capabilities available to you. That might be endless aisle and and point of sale and maybe some inventory lookup too. And, you know, if you're going to be focused on fulfillment, then I want you to have the BOPIS and the in-store picking, packing, shipping capabilities, maybe some customer service stuff where you could do order pickup when the customer comes in the store, but de-emphasize some of those things that are more selling oriented because you're really focused more on fulfillment. So it's really a balance. It's like, yes, I want all of these capabilities available and I want them to be very easy for a store associate to find, but I also don't want to overwhelm them with too many irrelevant choices that that they have to kind of crowd out in order to get to the things that they need to focus on. Right. And how you broke that down just now, like through the lens of the employee, the user of this technology, it's so strategic, it's so intentional, which I think is really key. That's been coming up a lot more in the discussions we've been having around in-store technology, specifically employee-facing technology. But I'm curious, like, are all retailers taking that very pointed strategic approach to this technology? Like, have they reached 
that point of maturity? Like, how are they thinking about this? Are they realizing the full potential by really narrowing it and focusing on what the business case is, but also what the employee needs to be successful? Uh, I wish I could say yes. I mean, it's still a question of just trying to figure it out. I mean, like we talk about all this technology, like it's so easy to adopt. I think, you know, the one thing that we can't lose sight of is that even though mobile has been a capability that's been available in stores for literally a decade at least now, getting employees to consistently adopt is a challenge. And it's not about the software necessarily. It's about the hardware and the ergonomics of the hardware. And we have retailers who struggle with, I've got, you know, I've got an Apple device and I have a payment device that goes on the back of it. And the Apple battery lasts a lot longer than the payment device that goes on the back. So I actually have to have way more payment devices than one-to-one with the mobile device that I'm using in the store. And sometimes depending on how they're paired to each other, the PED can actually suck the iPhone battery much faster than you would expect. And like those kinds of challenges lead to the employee just shoving the phone in the drawer and going back to the fixed till, because at least that's going to work every time, right? That overcoming those kind of really tactical challenges, like I don't blame them I don't blame retailers for struggling to be strategic in their approach when it's the stupid things like that that are what is getting in the way (laughs) that you have to clear out and make it easy and reliable for the store associate in every sense of the term. Like if they have to juggle a device and a hanger and a bag and they don't have a stand that's available for them to do that, the phone goes in the drawer, right? Like all of those things lead to a lack of adoption. And I would not characterize retailers as having overcome those kinds of barriers by any stretch of the imagination. That's still kind of the wild west. Yeah, that's kind of like the horror story or like the worst case scenario that I think a lot of folks think about when they consider new technology and how will our people respond and how can we ensure that this isn't a waste basically, right? So Yeah, and I think too that whole consideration of we see a lot of conservatism among retailers in introducing technology in stores for exactly that reason. It's sort of like we only have one chance to make a good impression and I don't want to roll something out to stores and then have it not be the best possible experience for store associates because then the device goes in the drawer. So on the other hand, it's like, well, you're not going to learn anything and you're not going to be able to evolve and progress if you don't get this stuff in the hands of users. The piece that's potentially missing there is you also have to open up feedback from store associates to say, hey, this isn't working. Somebody needs to fix this because this is really limiting my ability to use this device as much as you want me to. Don't just mandate that things have to happen. You've got to be very responsive and really agile in the approach that you take to adoption in stores. Are you ready to explore the evolved customer journey where content, community, and commerce converge? 
At the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo, you'll learn how brands and retailers are embracing new consumer insights, new technologies, and new destinations to create relevant and resonant experiences. Taking place on June 4th through the 6th at McCormick Place in Chicago, the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo will bring some of the brightest minds in the industry together for unique networking and learning opportunities, including keynote speaker, marketing expert, and author of For the Culture, Marcus Collins. Check out the show notes to register today. We did cover one really great example of a brand and retail environment that was able to take this technology and go from initial implementation or, you know, reveal to the store environment, to the employee, to full-blown optimization. That's North Face. And I do want to dig into some of the lessons for this particular use case and this success story, because I just think there are so many. And we'll link to this article in the show notes too, so people can refer to it. But I'm curious, like taking a case like North Face, and they had such a robust, I think, process for the rollout and continual improvement. Like, how can the folks listening learn from this? Like, what is a successful rollout look like? And what should retailers be thinking about as they consider how associates are using the technology, any technical issues like you were noting about like the battery drain? Like, how can they ensure that this isn't just a good experience for the customer and it's a good experience for the associate to be able to use this technology and it's not a headache? Yeah, I think one thing is definitely really involving the store team and listening to them. And that sounds like a cliche, like you're implementing technology in stores, you should be listening to the store team, but they really went down to the store associate level. I mean, their operation manual for point of sale was hundreds of pages long and the store associates themselves came back and said, we don't need this. (laughs) We don't want this. We don't want to have to learn this. We can get this down to one page. And literally their training manual for rolling out point of sale was one page front and back, but one page. And that was it. And they did that because they listened to the frontline associates who said, I don't need like, yeah, you want HR to come in with learning objectives and and all of this pedagogy that has to, everybody thinks has to come on top of all of all of the things that we need to do. And the reality is, is we just need to get in and we need to use it. And we need to learn where the boundaries are, where we shouldn't go or limits that we have in terms of returns or discounts that we can give or whatever. But that stuff, we don't need a 200 page manual for that. So I think that's a good example of exactly what I was talking about, that you have to get it into the stores, but then you have to see how store associates are using it or or what their feedback is about what's working and what's not. And you really do have to take that into account and spread that around so that everybody feels like, okay, it may not be perfect out of the gate, but it's going to get better really fast. Or I have ideas about how to use this that are things that nobody planned. And I wish somebody would listen to me. And that was another thing that they did. You know, they looked around at where people congregated, people congregate at the shoe wall. So let's put somebody there with mobile point of sale and have them check out customers right there. There's a lot of customers that are standing there. And, you know, when one store trialed it, then 
that became something that they spread to other stores to say, hey, this is working really well. You should try it too. And that's how they really drove a lot of their benefits. Yeah, that's great. Because I mean, these technologies shouldn't exist at one store. It shouldn't be in its own silo. It should be, you know, if you want to realize that full potential and possibly allow the broader business to benefit from it, those learnings do have to be shared. And one thing that I did find really interesting about this particular example is how the discussion around technology quickly evolved into store experience, even store design. Obviously, we have a pretty strong cross-section of readers that hit increasingly on all of these areas, right? Just like the general flow of the store, the general the general structure of the store environment was impacted in a positive way because of this technology, right? Like having smaller and more agile checkout spaces, being able to roll out smaller cash wraps, like rather than taking that like, oh, here's the large counter at the front. And it was more like micro environments where consumers could interact with associates. Like that is an impactful change that I think creates a more nimble and and free flowing environment in the store. And I'm curious if this comes up in the strategy discussion, right? I mean, obviously things like shorter lines, less wait time, like those always come up as far as like a value driver for mobile POS. But I'm curious, like if the store flow and like customer journey mapping, like that type of stuff really comes up or is maybe starting to come up because I just feel like it's a bit like below the level, but it makes an impact. Yeah, I think there, I mean, I see a lot of retailers wanting to go after the traditional cash wrap, that big counter in the store and and try to reduce it significantly, try to reduce the footprint of the technology that has to sit on there and really make it, I mean, almost more of a collaboration zone than a transaction zone, if you will. And some of that is driven by traditional ROI, right? Like the smaller your cash wrap is and the smaller your tech footprint is, then the less you have to invest in that in stores. Plus you get the added benefit of having additional selling space in your stores. And that makes for a fairly easy to calculate ROI. I do think that some retailers are starting to think more about customer journeys. And I think we're kind of on a cusp, like we were on a cusp coming into the pandemic where retailers were really starting to rethink their store design from the ground up. And of course, 2020, and then all of the disruption that has happened ever since, and all the uncertainty that has existed in the retail space has really kind of put the kibosh on a lot of investment in reformatting stores, but I think it's overdue now. It's way overdue. So like grocers did go. And if you see now, a lot of them did construction over the last few years where they put in fulfillment zones, where they put in refrigeration at the front of the store so that they could store the cold items that are for curbside. They really have kind of revamped the front of their stores to better support a lot more omni-channel kind of shopping processes. And I don't think that we've seen that to the same degree in department stores or in mall stores, fashion or specialty. Like that's been very delayed because everybody's been waiting for customers to come back and they're back now, but now everybody's worried about interest rates and funding all of this stuff, but, but we're way overdue. Like I think real shopping journey could be impacted, especially as retailers look to drive more returns into stores, then you need to have a whole shopper journey that 
enables that, especially if what you're looking for isn't just saving money on returns, but also driving traffic to your stores. You have to design that in a way that makes it possible for the consumer to return what they're there to return, but also be tempted into spending more while they're there, you know, or else that's a missed opportunity. So like, you don't want to cut that off too much from the rest of the store, but you do also want to cater to that flow. Those are the kinds of things that retailers have to balance with, with store design today. Yeah. And of course, all of the other technologies that create these points of engagement, but also facilitate the customer experience through self-service and others. Like you mentioned self-checkout, but we don't necessarily, like we can go there, but there's also like digital signage. There is other components that I think can drive that engagement, that self-discovery throughout the store. And I'm curious, like, obviously I can talk all day about like what's out there, but are there any that you think have a lot of potential, especially as we consider the needs and the challenges even that associates are facing today? Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about inventory and I wouldn't want to ignore RFID. I think even in your survey, that kind of jumped quite a bit in terms of the percent of retailers who say that they have it or that they're planning on using it. Um, That's an area that really has come to the fore in the last year where whether you're a branded retailer you manufacture your own products, so you have the opportunity to self-tag at the source, or you are a multi-brand retailer who sells other retail other companies' brands, there's getting to be a tipping point of tagged inventory in stores where it's really worth starting to look at how RFID can be used to drive benefit both for consumers and store associates. So having the confidence that the inventory is there and that you can promise that It's going to be there when somebody looks online to see, well, should I go to this store? Oh, yeah, they have a lot of the things that I'm looking for. Or you want to make it easier for that store associate to locate inventory, either because the customer in the store is looking for it or because they've got online order to fulfill, all of those things. It used to be that RFID was the barrier, right? Like you had to get over the business case for the tagging before you could get to the business case for the readers in the stores and what you're going to do with all of that information. And I think we're getting to the point where the tagging is happening. You know, Walmart, Macy's, across the board, you see these very large retailers that brands have to deal with that are requiring tagged inventory. And that brand is like, well, I'm going to send tagged inventory to my stores too. And then it becomes a question of, okay, well, now what do I do with that? Like, I already have them tagged. I should get the benefit of that. We do see retailers exploring that a lot more. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It only took 20 years. I was going to say, that's been like kind of like the silent technology that's just been slowly chugging away. (laughs) And we've been talking about it for so long, but it seems like we are finally having the multi-layered conversations around it and like how it really does enable so many different facets of customer experience, employee experience. So definitely something that we've we've been keeping a close watch on, especially as, you know, issues surrounding theft continue to come to the forefront. It seems like the RFID folks are like, yes, now's my time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Security and inventory. Visibility. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we are obviously releasing this conversation right before Black Friday, the quote unquote, official start of the holiday season, although folks I'm sure would debate that's not quite the case anymore. But I think in general, all eyes are still on retail results, what's going to be happening over the course of this holiday weekend and beyond. 
I'm curious, any trends that you're tracking, anything that you're expecting as we kind of kick the season into high gear? Yeah, I think to your point about Black Friday, like I'm really interested in October sales results yeah. <laughs> to see whether they're up or down. I mean, it's one of those things where I feel like for the past three, four years, I've been saying, I have no idea. It's a flip of the coin. Like it go either way. There are so many things that are negative pressures on how the holidays could go. And yet there's also all of these positive things that keep happening. I mean, in the face of all of this uncertainty, consumers keep spending. And there's definitely indications that they're running out of money. Debt is at all time high. Interest rates are at highs student loan repayments, like all of these things that are really depressing. And yet consumers keep spending. So I just don't know if they're going to run out of money this holiday season, or if they're going to power through this holiday season. One thing that I haven't seen a lot of people take into account when they talk about how this holiday season could go is that while debt is growing, um, consumers also are sitting on some really high home valuations. And when people's homes are worth a lot, they tend to feel wealthier. So again, it's like these two contrasting counterpoints for which way could this go? It's like, I don't know. The one thing I do know is that no matter what retailers' intentions are for investing in 2024, a lot of that will be impacted or shaped by how the holiday season goes in 2023. There's just no getting around it. So if retailers show up to NRF this year ready to party, then they'll invest in technology. And if they show up to NRF ready to drown their sorrows, then we know that they will not be spending a lot. (laughs) Right, right. Well, and I'm curious too, like how this whole discussion around theft, loss prevention more broadly is going to shape things because... I feel like, again, like RFID, it's always been kind of a uh, secondary discussion, something that's always been talked about, but not to the level that it has been recently. So I'm, I'm wondering how that will influence discussions and decisions at the NRFs and other shows like that. But are you seeing that or hearing that come up a lot in decisions and discussions as well? Like, how do you think that will impact the investments that are being made in store-ups specifically. Yeah, I think back to the increasing the spend on store operations, I think the pressure is there. Like what we've seen so far has been, we've got these rising wages and retailers are paying them, but they're trying to counterbalance that impact by cutting hours in stores. And what I think has really happened is not that people are, I don't know, more thefty (laughs) than they used to be, or that organized retail crime has achieved some new level. It's just that everybody's figured out that retailers have kind of hollowed out their stores and they're vulnerable. So, you know, you can put in all the cameras you want, but if you don't have a loss prevention person to be there to intervene when somebody looks like they're thinking about stealing something, then you're going to have theft. And when you have one person who is responsible for staffing 20 self-checkout kiosks, then you're going to have consumers who are going to see that as an opportunity to forget to scan some things. Self-checkout was never meant to be deployed in a one to 20 kind of ratio. There's not any of the controls there to help one employee manage 20 self-checkouts. So I think that retailers are realizing 
some of this. And certainly they're realizing that they can't just call the police every time there's a theft. They, they have to do more to shore up the stores. And I think back to the very first question we talked about, right? Employee hiring and retention safety in stores is becoming a really big deal for store associates. So unless you want to really pay a lot in wages, you need to do more to make employees feel like they're not risking their lives to come to work. So I think there's a lot at play, but it's a lot of interdependencies. So if retailers focus on making the experience a good one for customers and for employees, then I think they're going to solve a lot of these other problems out there just sort of by extension, mm-hmm. hopefully. Yeah, uh, definitely a lot of considerations, definitely a lot of things at play. But all I know for sure is we're all going to be keeping a close watch on what's going to happen this holiday season, because I think there are so many dynamics at play here that they all are going to have an impact on how we kick off 2024. But for now, Nikki... Oh, indeed. Yeah. (laughs) And I know you'll be watching too. But for now, Nikki, really appreciate you taking the time out to chat with me. I know it's a busy time of year, but really appreciate the insight and the commentary you always bring to the table. A pleasure as always. And to all of you listening, hope you enjoy this conversation. Like always, we always like to keep this conversation going on social media. So We'll be sure Nikki's tagged in the post. So if there are any questions you have or any areas you would like to expand upon, we can keep that conversation going. And of course, we always love to hear your thoughts on the show and how you liked specific conversations. So leave us a rating or review on your preferred podcast player. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, of course, and frankly, anywhere else, we're probably there too. Quick note, folks, because we're getting into the holiday season and our next episode is going to be based on Black Friday through Cyber Monday results. We are going to be a little bit late. The episode is going to run on Wednesday. So be sure to subscribe to the show. That way you get that episode and all others as soon as it's live. But for now, that's it from us. Thanks again to Nikki. Thanks to all of you. And we will see you after the holiday. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.